0: tonight Um, we'll take some time at the end of the service to break up in groups and pray and so just really want to again elevate the importance of prayer Um, church is much more than just coming and learning the bible amen Uh, we, we need to know what the truth is but truth without application is really meaningless right because you can be a practical atheist does that make sense so we don't want to just just be theologians. We want to we 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 must know the truth, but we must live it out, and we must care for one another, minister to one another. That's why that's why these prayer times are so important. And uh, and so at the end of service, make sure that that you take some time to pray for one another. If you know somebody that's that's going through surgery, hurting, uh, reach out to them. Uh, that's the importance of our D groups in the church. These dear folks that are inside of these small group ministries. Uh, every time I get a chance to even find out about something and reach out to the person, they already have a, all their small group ministers, people in that group <laughs> reaching out to them, caring for them, loving on them. And uh, if you if you're not small, part of a D group, a small group, you're missing out on that. You're missing out on both being able to minister at that level by knowing the people, but also to receive that if you're in those situations. And so it's important to interact in those small group levels and uh, that build that intimacy, the accountability, the care that's provided there. And so what a blessing that, that ministry is. In your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, I want to preach tonight... Uh, And on the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel as we enter into this year, I think sometimes we can lose sight of the responsibility that God's given us to evangelize as well as the power that God's placed in our hands in that endeavor. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to read verse 26 through chapter 2 verse 5, just a few verses Paul writes to this church and he says in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love that. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, if you'd read verse 5 with me, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Father, as we come to you tonight in prayer, that is our desire. We desire that the power of God would be put on display in our lives through the simple Preaching of the gospel. Lord, truly this treasure we have in earthen vessels. That the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. We are weak, we are frail. We, we have nothing on our own that would make us qualify to be not only the recipients, but the ones who would transmit the gospel but yet you have chosen to use the foolish to confound the wise. And we pray, God, that you would help us with that boldness that we need. Fill us with your spirit. Give us courage and help us not to make complex what is simple and powerful. And you, we pray that your gospel would go forth from Lighthouse in a dynamic way this year. And we ask it for your glory alone in Christ's name. And God's people said, man, you may be seated tonight. I think one of the things that really has a gripping power on the lives of people is fear. Fear is a a controlling mechanism that our world has learned they can use to manipulate in a lot of ways. And and, and that can come out in many different ways. I think during the pandemic, there was a lot of push uh, of fear. Um, There were people, I remember one guy in our church, who even said, I think they should arrest people if they don't get the vaccine. That guy didn't last at our church. I Yes, not that we didn't want him to be here, but uh, the preaching was not his flavor anyway. But I thought, well, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. Um, you have such a zeal for uh, the, the worry of that. Do you have the same level of zeal for the sharing of the gospel? Are you more afraid of the flesh or of the eternal damnation of these lost souls around you that you've not yet shared the gospel with being your neighbors? It's, and so fear can, can be a controlling mechanism. The fear of God actually sets men free. It is the one fear that produces peace. The only thing that produces peace when you fear is God. When you fear him most, you fear nothing else with a controlling mechanism. The, 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 the fear of the world doesn't control you anymore. You may, may have things that can bring great concern to your heart, but when you understand how much God is sovereign and providential, He gives you such peace. Second, Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Tonight I want to look at the power of the gospel and see how we as Christians don't need to have a fear of sharing our faith. And if there is one thing that I've learned in my own life and in the lives of others that keep us and hinder us from being more faithful to spread the gospel, it's simply fear. Fear of not knowing how somebody might respond if I talk to them about Christ. Fear of not knowing what to say if they question me. Fear of um, the unknown. Fear of how to bring up the subject. You know, when when we all came to Christ, we came with the word can't. And rightfully so. We all came and said. Lord I cannot save myself. Lord I. Cannot be qualified for your salvation. I am unworthy. Unrighteous. Lost. I cannot be righteous. I can't overcome sin. But when Jesus brought salvation. He gave us victory. And the Lord turns us from. Literally from sinners into saints. From unrighteous unto righteous. From unholy to holy. And. And I've seen God do some amazing things with people who never thought God could use their life. They never thought they would, first of all, be saved. But then to be used by God to reach people is a tremendous thing. But sadly, many miss out because they're still holding on to their can't cards. They, 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 they just, Lord, I, I want to do things for you, but I just don't feel, I, don't, I, I just can't. And when you come to Christ, he just removes our right to say can't anymore we 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 can do all things because Christ can now strengthen us. We who were weak can now be made strong. Now leading up to this passage in 1 Corinthians 1 Paul is confronting division and fighting in the church at Corinth. Uh they were blinded by their own pride and and, and friendly fire was going on in the church and that's really one of the most painful things is people who turn on each other and you know when when the church starts Fighting within, they, they totally miss the reality of their purpose, don't they? I mean, there's a world dying and going to hell and you're squabbling. Over, is it really that necessary? It's kind of like if you're, you're in the middle of a battle on a battlefield with the German army approaching and you're fighting over the other guy using your toothbrush that morning. Who cares? Right? I mean, there's just some things that don't matter anymore. One of the things I enjoy about this re ministry of our marriage ministry on Thursday nights, we have 40 couples involved in that, is, is 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 it should be transitioning, and it is for couples what really matters and what doesn't matter, what I can control and what I can't control, what I need to surrender to God and what I need to make a priority in my own life to take a hold of. But leading into this, again, there's fighting going on in the church at Corinth, it's it's it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, I think about Philippians 4. You get to chapter 4 and Paul brings up two women who are fighting and he names them. I beseech Eutychus and Syndice. That they be of the same mind. <laughs> there be no divisions among you. He starts talking about that in Philippians chapter 4. You imagine in heaven. Uh, you ladies want to come over here and explain this? I can tell you, right now in heaven, they're like, that was the dumbest argument we have ever been in. Why did we ever? How many of those in our lives would we would say, you know, it just really isn't that big of a deal? But I tell you, what is a big deal? The gospel's a big deal. Souls are a big deal. Evangelism is a big deal. Prayer, care, ministry for one for another. Friendly fire is a sad thing. Paul turns their attention as he seems to always do to the primacy of the gospel. And he, and he tells them in verse 17, because they're squabbling over who baptized who, and they would be superior to the other people in the church based on who dunked them in the water. And he says in verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He tells them in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And he begins to go into the gospel and and, and share with them the importance of that. Paul's focus always seemed to be the gospel, the the higher shelf issues. And, And there are two types of responses to the gospel. He says in verse number 18, he says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish and it's a, it's a Greek word, moros, it's foolishness, it's moronic. The world hears the preaching of the cross and it is a moronic message, is how we could, you could literally translate that as moronic or foolishness. It's the exact same idea. And, and the other is, uh, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. It, it is everything to us. Like we grip the gospel and we love the preaching of the cross. The world says it's just so foolish. There are two destinations that people will end at one day. Matthew twenty five forty six says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. When you come to the cross, you either love it or you hate it. You either let the cross slay you or you seek to slay it. Paul then speaks of the method of the gospel in verse 21 through 24. He says that the world by wisdom could not come to the knowledge of God. The world doesn't produce the truths of the triune God. One God in three persons. Co-equal, co-eternal, three persons, not one person. Three persons in one Godhead. Pastor Josh, I don't understand that. Of course you don't. Of course, we can't get our minds around all that is God. We have our little eight-ounce cup holding it before the ocean, right? The glory of God is so magnificent. And so the world doesn't produce the truth of salvation, the glory of God. And he says here, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching. And he says, we can just read maybe a few verses. Verse 19, where it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I mean, don't you look around the world and say, boy, they are so foolish, they don't even get it. Anybody feel that way when you look across the world? It's just like, how on earth? Verse 21, for after that and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. They just can't get it. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching or the foolishness of the message that is preached to save them that believe. You know when the Bible says in Matthew 16, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's actually not talking about Peter. And he's actually not even talking specifically about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel. What did Paul, Peter say? Upon this, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's declaring that statement. He says, Upon that confession, I will build my church. Christ is Lord. That confession, that declaration that Jesus is Messiah, is Christ, that is the rock that the church is built on. Boy, the Catholics missed that, didn't they? You think Peter's holding it up? Peter couldn't even get through the book of Galatians without getting rebuked. Anybody want to build on that church? Right? And so, verse 22, the world will tell God what it wants, but God gives us what we need. And so, verse 22, He says, the Jews require a sign. How many times did they tell Jesus, show us a sign? (laughs) Jesus is like... A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Ooh, that would have fluffed their feathers, wouldn't it? But well, we want a sign. Gideon got a sign. Give us a sign. It's like, really? I mean, how, how, many, how, many, how many blind people have you seen healed? How many lepers? How many dead have I raised? How many signs do you need? You don't need a sign. Verse 22, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greeks had orators. I mean, even in the city of Corinth, they would go down to the shores and put smooth stones under their tongue and practice their oratory skills. To be a great orator was, was to them the, 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 the evidence that, that the divine is with you and, and, and they elevated such things. So the Jews want to sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but, but what, is, what does God give them? Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. We give them what they didn't want. <laughs> How do you do that in a church world that seeks to build churches through pragmatism? Is, is, is Paul pragmatic here? In other words, what I mean by that is, there is a philosophy in, in churches that they've hired businessmen with business models to do whatever they can to grow the church. Let's find out what works. And then do that. Paul says. God did exactly the opposite. He did the opposite of what men wanted. And then he built his church on that. So the church's success. And the church What the church does. The methodology. The philosophy of the church. Cannot be governed by man by a lost world. You know, when people say, you know, if you did this, I think more lost people would come. Or if you did this, I think the unsaved wouldn't be offended. If you changed the word of sin and made it false or uh, uh, mistakes, and if you got rid of hell and said just, you know, punishment. If you just modified some stuff, really. Is that what we need to do? Do we need to throw some water on the fire? Is, is that the method that God's called us to? Well, it's not found here. And, and, and really, no greater power has been displayed than the power to forgive sins. No greater wisdom than the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, as Romans 11.33 says at that climactic passage that, that Paul is so elevated that he just, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, how unscrutable is his wisdom and his gnosis. His knowledge are just beyond reach. His ways are past finding out. Tonight I want to look at the power of the gospel. Maybe you've been hesitant to share the gospel thinking you are incapable. But tonight I want you to realize that is actually a good thing. Your weakness. And so let us as weak vessels gather around the power tonight and just find a rejuvenated spirit to lean upon God's omnipotent power through the gospel and we see, first of all, the power of the gospel works through the week. Look at verse 26. <laughs> I love, ver- this is so fascinating. As he writes to a prideful church. I mean, these guys are elevated about themselves. They're, they're literally fighting in, <clears throat> over which of them the greatest. And then he's like this in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, just look around your church. I mean, just look at each other. They're kind of glancing around. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, are they? In other words, you're not the cream of the crop in society. <laughs> what are you fighting over, the bottom of the barrel? You, you can just see them all kind of looking around at each other. Well, you know, yeah. God has, you, you, you know, and, and isn't it wonderful that God just calls regular people? The, the gospel didn't come to the mightiest, the wealthiest, the most noble. Paul says not many. He doesn't say not any, but not many. There's There are some who are popular or powerful in the world's eyes that can get saved, but not many. And so he's saying the gospel isn't just for the rich, the noble, the mighty. God saves whoever comes. often, Worldly success, prestige, and honor will hinder the gospel. Um, Riches are one of the greatest thieves for people. It can distort so much. And if people get saved who are rich and who are popular and who are uh, of, of high significance in the world, it's not because of those things, it's in spite of those things often. John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. When you never get the praise of men, you don't seek it, right? With that kind of a desire. So often in our world, those things that put people ahead in the world's eyes really can put them behind with God. It is often the feeling of inadequacy that makes people aware that they need the gospel. In Mark ten twenty three, Jesus it says he looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God exclamation point. I mean this is in a day when prosperity preaching was, was high. It was so shocking when he says these kind of things that they said, then who can be saved? Because they thought financial blessing was the evidence of God's hand upon you and physical ailments or, or difficulty in life was a sign of God's judgment upon you and he stripped that away. Notice the words of Christ in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. <laughs> At that time, Jesus... And this is, this is when people were rejecting him. I just want you to get the setting. This is when the cities had rejected Christ. Verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, now what do you do when you've gone through rejection? Anybody here faced rejection before? Raise your hand. Anybody feel good with that? Right? We we don't feel good with that. Now what, what does he say? And he said, I thank thee. Is that great? You ever notice that? You know what the first thing he said when he came to the tomb of Lazarus? Friend been dead four days, he just wept. He says, I thank you, Father. When he came to his own crucifixion, John 17, thank you, Father. Jesus was thankful at the lowest settings of his life. At that time, he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast, what's the word? You, you see that three letter words? You think that's a big deal to know? Has, has God already judged them unworthy of the gospel? He has hid them. Hid it from the... What kind of people? The, the, the wise and the prudent. You think those guys were high on the totem pole in society at that day? You think they thought they were the real winners in society? You think they looked down their nose at everybody else? Oh, look, at those, look at those moronic Christians. Look at those moros. Look at those fools. Not everybody that's rich has that mindset, obviously. But in this setting, it was the Pharisees, wise and prudent, the Sadducees who were the financial uh, people. They, 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 they used religion to gain power. And has revealed them unto what kind of people? Babes. Unless you're willing to become a babe, you will become nothing for God. You won't even be saved. You won't be saved, you won't be used. It is a fight for the bottom, not a fight for the top. And Jesus prays this out loud so everybody can hear it. He wanted them to understand it isn't your abilities, it is your humility. It isn't the realm of man's power and strength that God has put on display, but rather in the climate of weakness and insufficiency that God's power has put on display. That's, again, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this... We have this treasure in oysterkinos, It's a Greek word that means a, a, a mollusk. A, 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 and, and the glory is not in that shell. It's when you crack it open and you see that pearl. We have this treasure in earthen vessel. That the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. So, so the power of the gospel is revealed through the weak. Secondly, the power of the gospel humbles the mighty. Look what he says in verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are... Do you remember what they said when they arrested Peter and John? How do these men know these things, having never learned... And they took knowledge of him that they had been with Jesus. They just were shocked. They were shocked at Christ. Often, worldly success and prestige and all those things will hinder the gospel, but also they will be humbled because of how God uses such means of, of those that are weak. I think of John the Baptist. You know, John, it never said, had any formal education, no. No training or trade of profession that the Bible mentions. No great financial setup. He didn't have military rank, high political positions, no social pedigree or prestige. There was nothing in his appearance that was attractive. Nobody was like, "Man, he, you know, I like I like John the Baptist's skinny jeans and large watch, and his his uh, kind of setup up there looks really nice." <laughs> I mean, I mean, even I would have said, "John, can you kind of clean it up a little bit?" <laughs> You. Matthew 11:11 11, 11, I love it verily I say unto you among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he he came looking like Elijah God has a long history of constantly using weak people and weak methods to confound the wise I mean Joseph was an inmate hated by his brother and brothers and he became the right hand man of Pharaoh David a little poor shepherd boy killed Goliath became the great king of Israel. Abraham and Sarah were past childbearing age. They had the promised child in their old age. Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1 gave birth to John the Baptist when they were past age. God used a little virgin girl named Mary to bring his son into the world. He used a manger scene in the little town of Bethlehem, lowly shepherds, to spread the message. He used 12 disciples who were just common blue-collared fishermen, tax collectors, to be the apostles. God used a Jewish Pharisee to be the, the great herald of the gospel to the Roman world named the Apostle Paul. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3.8 unto me who am the who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach the the unsearchable the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God used young Timothy who was an unsaved who had an unsaved Gentile father grew up under the teaching of his mother and grandmother, in the ways of the Lord, and he became a great pastor, the woman at the well, the demon-possessed man of Gadara. I mean, the list just goes on and on. God just keeps using the weak methods. Just the insignificant, the people that others would say, "I, I, I never would have saw that coming. Thirdly, the power of the gospel silences man's boasting in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, if pride focuses on lifting up self, the opportunity to to take any situation and and, and see how you can inflate yourself, where humility does the opposite. It it, it looks to, to to humble yourself. First Corinthians 3, verse 4, Paul told them in in a couple chapters later, he says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, But but ministers? Huparetes, it could even be diakonos, I think is is the Greek, but just servants by whom ye believed. Even as the Lord gave to every man, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Look what he says in verse 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. You're, You're looking at us as being something. We're nothing. You know, every man at his best state is altogether what? Vanity. They, they, they have nothing to offer on their own. First Corinthians 4, 6. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against the other. Can we do that sometimes in our lives? Oh, I, you know, I'm this or I'm that or I... Especially around New Year's resolutions. You know, I haven't eaten any sugar in the last two weeks. We get real self-righteous, don't we? Oh, you're going to eat ice cream tonight? Oh, you don't want me to? Oh, I didn't say anything. Eat all you want. You know what they mean by that? You know, I haven't—I uh, haven't gone a day without reading my Bible this year. How's your reading going? Notice you haven't read this morning. You know, you know. whenever we get really disciplined about something, we have to be very guarded that we don't get a critical eye. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. We've all done that. we we become a little bit critical. We're like, well, I just really want to encourage them. Well, make sure that you have a, have a loving motive instead of a critical judgmental motive, right? Um, how many, according to Paul, would have room to glory and boast? He says, no flesh of glory in his presence. We, if God uses us, it's, it's always in spite of us. It's not because of us. The gospel's exclusive in its ability to save. The gospel saves alone. Romans twelve three says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I've had people say, uh, so, so you're telling me nobody could ever get saved if God didn't draw them? Yes. Correct. Oh, you think the goodness started with you? You, you think you, you were running, to God, like you caught up to God and finally like tackled him, his Holy Spirit, and said, hey Holy Spirit, save me now, I caught gotcha. you. You think that's how it worked? <laughs> Jesus says, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Anybody glad God draws you to salvation? Amen. I wasn't running to God when I, when, when I got saved. It was His grace that awakened me. But, but even faith, Romans 12, 3 says, has been given to us. Faith is to the soul what the eyeballs are to your body. You cannot physically see without God granting you sight, and you can't spiritually see without God giving you faith. And that's why Ephesians two eight nine 9 says... For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're His workmanship. Verse 10, the next verse says. he's, He's the one who creates in us. He's the one who works in us. And so, fourthly, the power of the gospel transforms the believer. Look at verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who, is, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God is our wisdom. I mean, I, I, I pray regularly that, that God would grant me wisdom, that the Word is my wisdom. If I have any wisdom, it's only because God's Word has been in me. Let me say this. If you read a lot of books, make sure you read a lot of the Bible first. Did you hear that? you will get more out of your bible reading than you will get out of your book reading. It's good to read books. Don't don't not 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 against. But sometimes guys can read a bunch of books in the year and it's like they barely read the bible. You think you're going to and I've known guys that, that are extremely educated in in certain areas and it's like you don't even know that from the and I'm thinking like don't I mean you're reading and studying all the time. You you are you missing this? I read this Tenfold over other books. I I read this, read it, study it, memorize it. This is your wisdom. You think there's something better written? I I read this or read books about that. Now it's okay to, you you know, if you have some novel you want to read. I know some of you mushy-hearted people out there that you like these. I don't even know the authors who they are. You know, my daughters will go on like a vacation and they'll bring like four books. And they'll read like a 400, 500 page book in a day. I'm like, oh, you know, some of these books, I'm like, I could not do that. You know, Uh, give me the cliff notes. I'll watch a little movie on it, you know, not going. But you give me something like that I find valuable. Like I will, I will soak that in and read it and study it. But Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So so the Lord grants us wisdom. He is our wisdom. He transforms us. And and, and in verse number 30, it tells us some things that He gives us. He gives us wisdom. Uh, He also, secondly, gives us righteousness. That speaks about being made right with God, living right before God. The Bible says uh, Christ is our righteousness. You, You are made righteous because Christ has come in, in your life, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I think it's like 60 sometimes. in Ephesians, it tells us that we're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's just constantly repeated in that book. Romans 4.5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for Righteousness. Thirdly, we receive God's sanctification, where righteousness has to do with our judicial standing. Sanctification has to do with our being set apart for God. This is, this is practically living out what we are positionally. The, the gospel creates this in us, because the gospel not only brings salvation, but also transformation. And sanctification is progressive. Uh, you are not completed in sanctification, you are continually being sanctified. That's why Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is still working on us. Is that hopeful for us? That's encouraging, isn't it? Anybody ever feel like you've taken steps back and then you look into your past and you're like, well, I've actually moved forward, but, but it seems the closer I get to the sun, the more... The darkness seems to be revealed, right? You're moving in the right direction, but it's like, wow. I mean, who would not come closer to Christ and see themselves as more sinful? It's it's a difficult process, isn't it? And then so so you have a lot of, you have a lot of, in Christianity that that tries to tell you how wonderful you are. I want to be told how because they want to sedate that. That slaying of ourself. That, that dying of self. Paul, Paul in many ways loathed himself. O wretched man that I am. The, 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 when he, the closer you get to Christ, you become like Peter who, when he recognized who Jesus was, he fell at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, that, that is the response of seeing God, like you, you don't think more of yourself. You think that, how am I still living? How has He not slain me? <clears throat> That's healthy, though. It's, it's, there should always be a sense. Do, do you think you should ever on this side of heaven say, you know, I feel like I've arrived. I feel really good about where I am spiritually. I mean, I have really, I'm doing great. I think God would just say, you know what? You're excellent. When we think about it like that, it's laughable, isn't it? We all laugh because we're like, well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But we want to feel that way. We want to feel like, hey, I'm doing really great. But to be honest, to do really great, you almost have to feel pretty bad sometimes. And people don't want the weight of conviction. They don't want the weight of just seeing the glory of Christ and what What I know I should be, but what I'm so far from being. But isn't that going to make heaven all the sweeter? I mean, I mean, don't we feel that way when we look at that little punk 20 year old, all healthy, running around, falling on their knees, jumping up and you're like, you jerk. Feel nothing. (laughs) And we go out and jog. We're at the chiropractor two days later, two hours later. You know, I threw my hip out. I tore my back muscle. I Somehow I ripped a bicep jogging. I have no even know how that works. You know, It's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we get, we get down about thinking about the physical process. And yet we're supposed to feel great when we see Christ in His glory and say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, the comparison should be so far like a golf that we would just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We should just daily rejoice in grace. Thank you, Philippians 1, six is in the Bible. Thank you that you who have begun a good work. Thank you that you will present me faultless before your throne of grace. Thank you you have put me in your hand and no one can snatch me out of your hand. Thank you that I'm saved by the power of God and I'm kept by him. And so he is our sanctification, and the gospel sanctifies us. I think even sharing the gospel has a sanctifying process, doesn't it? <laughs> Who is I, I was talking to somebody the other day that was keeping some folks accountable with their nutrition in a very healthy and good way, very, very beneficial. I said, how are you personally doing? And they said, I'm doing really good with it because I have to do good with it because I'm keeping them accountable. And you know that if you keep somebody accountable, doesn't it have to make you accountable? Yeah, if like you're a D-group leader, or if you're doing a family D-group, and you're like, hey, we all got to do a hero journal this week, as a parent, or as a D-group leader, or as a Sunday school teacher, whatever, you're like, I have to have this done, because I can't show up without it done, because if I don't have it done, I don't care if I'm the only one in the room that has it done, but I must have it done, because I told them to have it done. So, whenever you place, you put yourself in that, that situation, it, it raises that accountability, and and so, when you share the gospel, so oftentimes it brings a sanctifying process, doesn't it? How can I share the gospel with my coworker, with my family member, with my loved one if I'm living unbecoming of the gospel, right? Does it, doesn't it sanctify? I mean, it may sanctify just by me going to work with you this week. I could show up and say, hey, I'm their pastor. He talked about me. Like, no, he hasn't. Done. No, but um, letter D, or that's on my paper. Fourthly, so not only is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, but redemption. Redemption speaks of the believer being set free. It's it's the word that means to buy back. We were under we were under bondage, literally sold as a slave to sin. And God through the gospel has purchased us. First Peter uh, one eighteen and nineteen, right. He has purchased us not with corruptible things, with, and he uses the word redeemed, not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible, uh, received from your vain conversation from, the, from your fathers. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. All these great riches come from the gospel of Christ. And verse 31 tells us the reason why. It says, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I, I, I can tell you, you know if somebody's growing in Christ by this. If they boast in God all the time. Because you you, you can't get past those four areas of your life on a daily basis your wisdom your salvation your sanctification and the price of your redemption you're being purchased out of the slavery of sin into the freedom of God there 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 will be a glorying in the Lord get around that person praise God God is so good they just they just seem to boast in God a lot would the people around you say that you boast in the Lord would they say that you are a Christ celebrator the power of the gospel is seen in how it saves the weakest, the humblest, and brings the mightiest, and humbles the mighty, and brings wisdom and righteousness, sanctification, redemption to the believers so that all glory goes to God. The believers in Corinth had gotten sidetracked. Instead of glorying in Christ alone, they elevated men and themselves. Paul then dismantles their false view. As we continue in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 2, in our final point, the power of the gospel is all you need to evangelize with. As Paul had pointed out earlier, think about this. If if wisdom, if man's wisdom cannot, be, cannot obtain the gospel, if wisdom cannot obtain the gospel, then why present the gospel with man's wisdom? If it's not sufficient to get the gospel, why would you think it's sufficient to give the gospel? Paul didn't come with verbal enticements. I love verse one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I can't even tell you the the joy that my soul has in in First in, in Corinthians two. This is this is just uh, because in my life the, the 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 big church meetings that I've gone through throughout the last twenty years, the different things that they, you know, how can we launch more churches? How can we grow the church? What are some methods and all these things, books that get written? They just never seem to highlight and elevate what Paul elevates here. The glorious gospel, elevate holiness, elevate the fear of God, elevate the word of God, expositional preaching, um, elevate what God elevates. Instead, it's like, what are some methodologies, methods that we can use that would, you know let's go out and ask the lost world like what kind of church would you go to that's that's literally the method that is going on right now whenever they go start churches the advice that would be given to me when i came to lighthouse or came to zenia not from my church but from from churches that were being launched all over the country was you need to go into an area go around do a survey Go all these door to door, not to share the gospel, but to ask them what kind of church you would come to, then find out what kind of church they would come to, find out the median age. So if you're median age, then you have a target audience and you want to reach people between the 20 and 40 year olds. You know, you're a younger pastor, you started the church when you're around 28 years old at Lighthouse, then then target that that middle age area. So, so you're going to have some big fun stuff for the kids you're going to have a big 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 sound show you really they, they really like that, and then try to try to dumb down the message to about fifteen to twenty minutes and you know just just soup that thing up only have maybe one service a week and and then do some small group stuff but then just and, and then that would go that way. I can tell you i i I came from a business world with some things, and i I understand a little bit of how to like Try to sell something. <laughs> but then I, I, I know the Bible too much to know that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Paul comes to Corinth where they elevated above everything excellent speech. And he says, one thing I purpose not to do is come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. The guy who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who could have out of debate anybody. Came speaking Simple. They would have been like, this is almost vulgar to come speaking to us in such simplicity. He said, I did it on purpose. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Love it. He didn't come with external enticements. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul didn't come with verbal and external enticements, but Paul did come with a clear message of the gospel. He did come with demonstration of the Spirit and power. And and why did he do that? Why did he do all of that? Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If I can lead somebody to Christ, then they're my convert. And they're not God's. They're not saved. Did you hear that? The problem with so many that are in the Arminius camp, those who believe that they have so much more on their shoulders to do with salvation than what God says, they feel like it's them. Well, and, and it comes out in our own words sometimes. When People say, oh, I just, you know, I just, somebody else could have talked to them because I just, I don't know much past John 3.16 and some of these other passages in the gospel. And they, Well, I think it's important to be able to shine the light as bright as you possibly can and i think it's important to have a have a prayer life that, that, that is sincere with god and god's hands on your life as you surrender to him daily and, and you can be a vessel that he he flows through but, but never forget if somebody gets saved god did all the saving it was it was it was simplicity it was clarity the thing that hinders the gospel is our silence i mean if you share the gospel you've won and if they get saved, then you win. If they don't get saved, you still win because you planted the seed. Sharing the gospel is a win, win, and another win. There is no loss. Well, they, 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 they got upset. Well, so did m- most people who have rejected it at some level. I mean, who wants to hear that they're so sinful they would be separated from God for eternity and they must be saved through the exclusive claims of Christ? Confess he is Lord and repent. I mean, who, who's, who's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm just not ready for it yet, though. Really enjoyed hearing that, though. So you're telling me I'd end up in the lake of fire. Yeah, thank you for that. So Paul's faith was, was so wrapped up in the gospel. He was so wrapped up in this that he, just, he never sought to use his own abilities. And from this, friends, if God uses Lighthouse Baptist Church to be a light to Zenia, Green County, our state and surrounding areas, it will come when a bunch of weak vessels get on their face before God and say, God, use me to allow the power of the gospel to just go out. Forgive my silence, forgive my lack of prayer, forgive my, my trusting in my own ability, let me just speak it. Friends, the thing that will restrain the gospel is our silence. And, and you just need to know, Paul was not, a, um, not somebody you would have looked at and said, wow, that's the Apostle Paul. Man. Historians, Lucian, Chrysostom, uh, and Nicephorus, who all wrote in the first century, described Paul as being short of stature, crooked and bald. Lucian writes of how he met Paul and scoffingly says of him, quote, When the bald-headed Galilean met me with his hooked nose, who went through the air to the third heaven and there learned most wonderful things. Nicephorus says of Paul, he had a small and contracted body, somewhat crooked and bowed, a pale face, looked old, had a little head. He had a sharp eye, his eyebrows hung downward, his nose was beautifully bent, somewhat long, his beard thick and, a pretty, and pretty long. And as the hair of his head and a sprinkling of gray hairs. This is what people who lived around Paul said about him. Paul probably looks back and says, Thanks, guys. Doesn't the Bible say the Lord doesn't look as a man seeth, but he looks on the heart? Warren Wearsby tells the story of a certain church as I close. That had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit. It depicted Jesus Christ on the cross. One Sunday there was a guest minister who was much smaller than the regular pastor. A little girl listening to the guest for a time. Then turned to her mother and asked. Where is the man who usually stands there. So that we cannot see Jesus. And simply if we elevate ourselves. We will only veil and diminish the glory of Christ. He works through our weakness. Paul gloried in the cross. He made it the center of his message. Paul became nothing so that Christ would become everything. And I close with the words of verse 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In our life, the gospel has got to be Primary. Lift up Jesus Christ. The world will only respond in two ways. Either they accept it or they reject it. They'll look at it as foolish or they'll come and be saved. We, we spread the seed, right? Some plants, some water, but God brings the increase. Do not let fear of man keep you from sharing the gospel. And tonight, maybe you need to turn your can't card in and say, God, I can share the gospel. I must share the gospel and it's only through the gospel that people will be saved. Let's all stand this evening. Father, we do thank you for your word tonight. It is our joy. We are so thankful for mercy and grace and salvation. We are literally standing here tonight, or seated here tonight because of your grace. I pray that you would give us boldness, help us to be unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. Help us to be faithful with our family, our friends, our loved ones. If anyone tonight, Lord, that it may be with us, that as a loved one that they need to share the gospel with, that you would give them that opportunity even this week. Lord, I pray for anyone tonight that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that tonight would be the night that they might come and be saved. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.